every genuine cry for revival is really a cry for God's glory to be revealed, a desperation for the glory of God to be seen upon His people. And this is the very same thing God desires, for His glory to be seen upon His people. This message explores characteristics of God's manifested glory. I declare together uh, what we believe God's word speaks concerning us, speaks about us. If you've got your Bible, hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Just greet the person next to you. Say hello if you don't know who they are, and then you may be seated. One of the things that we do as a church, you know, every local church has its own flavor, has its own our dynamic has its own vision, has its own purpose, and so each local church is different. But one of the things that, are very, that is very important to us as a congregation, as a church, is to press in for more of the glory of God. To press in to see more and more of God's glory upon us. And revival, pursuing revival, is, is a theme that we go back to over and over again. So if you've been here in the church for a while, you say like, Pastor, you preached exactly the same message, you know, sometime, or you talked about revival some time ago. It's because that's a journey. It's something that's very close to our hearts, just like missions or reaching out and impacting other parts of our nation. A revival, pursuing more of God is very important to us as um, a church. And uh, so we, we, we started last Sunday just talking on this theme revive us again. And we are going to just uh, conclude some of those thoughts here this morning as we do part two on this topic. And uh, I did mention last Sunday that uh, in January next year, this, the latter part of January, uh, we will get into an in-depth study on revivals, our visitations, and moves of God. We will uh, examine this subject in depth. We will, we will actually be looking at church history and look at Accounts of revivals all, all over the world, that revivals that took place in various parts of the world and the impact they had on the communities and so on. And, and then we'll talk about uh, you know, how we can experience, how we can press into revival in our day and time and why we are doing that and what we can expect uh, as a result of that. So we'll make that journey uh, in the coming year, 2016. Uh, but things we're doing right now are just preparing us for of that season. So last Sunday we began to revisit the subject of revival. Uh, we talked about the fact that revival simply means uh, to give life again, to breathe life again, uh, to bring something back to its original state the way uh, it should be. 
And uh, we also talked about the fact that as believers, and I'm just reviewing last Sunday's sermon uh, from Acts 3.19, that once we repent, are converted and have our sins forgiven, it positions us to seasons of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. That means there can be many seasons of refreshing. Every season has a start and an end. But the Bible talks to us about seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And we must desire for that. Saying, God, give us another season of refreshing. What we have is great, but there is much more we want. There's much more of you, much more of your presence, much more of your working in us that we're longing for, desiring for. And so we have access to seasons of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And we must desire for that. Uh, We talked about, last Sunday, we talked about what happens during a revival or an outpouring. We highlighted seven key points. I'll just review them or just mention them very quickly Uh, once again. We said that during a time of revival or outpouring or a renewal or an awakening, I mean, people use different terms for this visitation of God, for this God coming amongst His people above and beyond their normal experience. So yes, every Sunday morning we come, we worship God, we encounter the presence of God. Sometimes it's very air-conditioned cold, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, there is that presence of God. There are, yes, there are some prayers that are answered. There are some healings that take place. There's some prophetic words that come forth. But in a time of visitation, there's a heightened experience of the glory and the presence of God. And that's what we're asking for and pressing into. And uh, here are the outcomes of such seasons of visitation. There is a great revelation of who God is. Number two, there's a heightened, rev- heightened revelation of spiritual truths and realities. Thirdly, we mentioned that there's an increased passion. There's an increased fire and a fervor and a zeal in the hearts of God's people. Fourth, there's an increase in gathering of the unsaved. Fifth, there's an increase in supernatural manifestations and unusual and mighty things that happen. Uh, Sixth, there's a powerful impact on society uh, beyond what is achievable through normal programs. And seventh, there's an equipping and sending out of ministries uh, and missionaries and starting and birthing of new ministries. These things that happen during this season of visitation. Also, we we impress on our hearts that really every... Uh, every season of visitation should actually become a habitation of God. That is, we don't want just that, uh, that God comes down, He gives us a great experience, and then we just drop back to an old spiritual state. Rather, that should become our new norm when God visits us and he, uh, uh, and he stirs us up in the Spirit. He gives us great experiences. We should now make that an habitation. That becomes a new norm for us. We are to move from glory to glory. So it's not like, oh yeah, that, that's what happened then. No. Uh, that in the past, that we are back to our old state. No. We say, when God moves among, amongst us in a certain level of glory, we capture that. We, not, we need to consolidate it. We need to say, God, this is going to be our new norm, our new experience of God. Consolidate that and then seek for more. Ask for more. Say, God, visit us again. Give us another season of refreshing. Take us up higher. Take us up to another level. Are you with me so far? So we should seek for seasons of refreshing. God, we want more than what we have experienced. Now this morning, in in just um, uh, the second part of this whole theme of revival and uh, just stirring us up up to pray this prayer, saying, revive us again. I want to... Focus in on one aspect of what this cry for revival is really all about. 
Sometimes when we talk about revival, we think about lots of people getting saved. And that is true and that is good. Are we talk about, are we think on a revival means we'll have extended meetings, our schedules get upset, you know, uh, uh, dislocated a bit. Uh, yes, unusual things happen. Things, you know, our schedules get upset a bit. Uh, or when we talk about revival, we think about uh, healings and miracles. And all of that is good. But at the very core... Every genuine cry for revival is simply a cry for more of the glory of God to be revealed amongst us. So what is a cry for revival? We are crying for more of the glory of God to be revealed amongst us. That's what a cry for revival is. And when we use this term glory of God, uh, sometimes we, we don't understand what, it, what this is. We think glory, whoa, the glory cloud, clouds will appear, or glory fire. Or, but the glory of God simply means a visible, tangible expression of who God is and what He does. That's what the glory of God is. It's God manifesting Himself, revealing Himself to us in ways that we can relate to, the ways that we can connect with. It's expressions of who God is and the kinds of things he does. So when we say, God, we want your glory to be revealed. We want more of your glory. What we are saying is, God, we want more of you manifested, revealed to us in ways that we can understand who you are, the kind of things you do. We want more of the glory of God amongst us. And this cry for the glory of God I want us to understand is a very legitimate cry. It's not like, oh no, you know, APC is now off the edge, man. At least during marriage and family, they're talking practical things. Now they're talking about revival. They're talking about glory. Pastor's gone off the edge. No, it's not that. Understand that the cry for the glory of God is a very legitimate thing. In fact, it is the desire of God's own heart for his people. And we can see some of that in in a few scriptures. It's it's all over the Bible, but uh, just bring our attention to a few scriptures this morning. Habakkuk chapter 2 at verse 14. God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God is saying, He's speaking to the prophet Habakkuk. He's saying, look, this is what I really want. I want the earth to be covered with the knowledge, with people knowing, experiencing, living and enjoying with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, how? As the waters cover the sea. Now, I, I, I suppose many of us would have, you know, visited um, a, a coastal area. We've stood on the seashore and you look out on the vast expanse of water. And, 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 and it's amazing that the, the amount of water there that's accumulated. And uh, it's, it's deep. It's the, the water overwhelms the land and, and there's no telling how deep it is. And God is saying, that's the way I want my glory to cover the earth. Can you get a picture of that? But most of us, you know, we have a little puddle of glory. <laughs> We're playing a little puddle and saying, like, see how nice it is. Nice. You've got your little puddle of glory, you know, now and then God answers a little prayer and you feel excited about it. But God says, look, I want my glory on the earth the way the waters cover the... So there is nothing wrong for asking God for a bigger puddle. 
or maybe a river, or maybe something big. Ask as, and because he wants his, the knowledge of his glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He says, that's how I want my glory to cover the earth. Uh, in practical terms, what would this look like? It would look like you and me taking the glory of God into the marketplace. Everywhere we go, the knowledge of the glory of God invading our realm. So it's not something abstract and you know, uh, something that we can't relate to, but expressions of who God is invading every sphere of society. When you go to school or when you go to your college or when you go to your workplace or when you go into Whatever industry you're in, whether it's arts or media or entertainment or, or the business or government, when you, whatever sphere of work you're going in, you're carrying the glory of God. And God says, I want my glory, who I am and what I do. I want it to flood the earth. So when you go into your office tomorrow morning, uh, just imagine what would happen if the glory of God released through you is so overwhelming that people are impacted just because you are carrying expressions of who God is and what he does into your workplace. Right? When he says, I want the whole earth to be filled with my glory, it includes your workplace, includes your school, your college, your home, your neighborhood, everything. You with me so far? That's God's desire. So when we are crying for revival, it's just joining hands with God and saying, God, this is what you want. This is what we are agreeing with and asking for. In Isaiah 60, verses 1, 2, and 3, again, a very uh, a passage that we've been using over and over again these 21 days. God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah. He speaks to his people. He says, Arise, son, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. See, this is God speaking. It's not some man trying to say some nice things. God is saying, my glory will be seen upon my people. I want my glory. I want expressions of who I am and what I do. I want it to come forth through my people. For what purpose and what will happen then? He says, nations will come to your rising kings will come so the glory of god attracts the people from the outside amen so this is what god has expressed in his word and when we are crying for revival when we're saying god we want this uh, we are in perfect agreement with god david expresses this as a man praying and his cry is for an experience a manifestation of, of the glory of God. We see this in Psalm 63 verses 1 and 2. He says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Look at the intensity of his cry. He's comparing it to a man who's, who's, who's in a dry, barren land crying out for water. And David says, that's the way I am crying out for you. So how desperate is our cry for God? Is it as desperate as the way David put it? As a man who is in a dry and barren land crying out for water. And what does he want to see as a result of that cry at the desperation for God? He says in verse 2, For I've looked for you in the sanctuary, in the assembly of God's people, and I'm longing to see your power and your glory. So this is what I want, God. 
I want to see your power and your glory when your people assemble together. It's a very legitimate prayer. Amen? So we as a community are praying together and saying, God, this is what we want. We don't want to have just church just so you know you come together and you know have sing some nice five songs and then sit down and listen to some nice preaching, take a nap through it and you know and uh, wake up and you know I just say hello to everybody else and uh, feel nice that you're part of the little community and, and go home and it's look our our journey with God is much more than that. We are here to be a desperate people crying out for more of God. More of Him when we come together. More of Him when we meet together at homes or wherever. We want to see His power and His glory. But we got to cry for that. And we will see in January as we look at church history through the centuries there have been people who've dared to stand before God and cry for that. And God has been faithful to answer them in powerful ways. And because either two people or three people or a few people joined together, began to cry out and say, God, we want to see your power and glory. And they pressed in, they persisted like that, uh, that widow woman before the unjust judge in Luke 18. She would not let go. She persisted. And then what happened? God visited them, visited their church, visited their community, and nations were affected. You heard me mention this, and we'll talk in greater length in January, about the layman's prayer revival It's uh, 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 in New York City. But one man just wanted to pray during lunch break. And within two months, within two months, the whole nation was praying. All across the nation, the, um, the, from, the, from the east to the west, especially the northern, northern part of America, People were stopping their work 12 to 1. They were praying. And all just the fire spread in a matter of two months. The revival just spreads. Because one man said, I need to pray. I need to seek God. And God answered. There was just a sovereign move of God. And like this, we have stories from all over the world, whether it's Africa or China or Europe or uh, India. We have stories from all over the world. And when people just said, God, we want to see your power and your glory God answered. Amen? Now, what does a manifestation of God's glory look like? So, as we pray and we understand that, God, that God's desire is for the earth to be filled with His glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea, and we are praying into it, we are asking God for more, what would this look like? What can we expect? Now, there are many passages in Scripture that we could go to, but this morning, I want us to just look at one passage. So this morning's sermon is going to be pretty short. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, we're going to look at verses 11 to 23. We look at Moses' conversation with God and what God speaks to him in the context of manifesting his glory here on earth. So we pick this conversation up in verse 11, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant, that's Moses' servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you 
and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he, God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So Moses is having a conversation with God and he's saying, God, you've told me to lead your people into this land. That's good. Uh, but two things I want from you, God. Whom will you send with us? Whom will you send with me? You haven't told me who you're sending. And second, God, uh, what's your plan? Show me your way. So what is your plan? I mean, what is going to be the outcome of all of this? So God responds to Moses saying, my presence shall go with you. So Moses, I'm coming with you. I'm not sending anybody else. I'm coming. My presence shall go with you. And he says, I will give you rest. Literally meaning, I will give you victory. I will give you success in this journey. So he's answered both of Moses' requests. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Moses continues in his conversation, verse 15. Then he said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how will then, will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So Moses is saying, God, of course, your presence must go with us. Because that's the key differentiator between us and all the people of the world. The fact that you, we are your people and your presence is with us. And so God affirms that. Yes, uh, that's what I'm going to do. But right after that, Moses makes a personal request. And that's in verse 18. Here's what Moses says. And he said, Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. So he's taking care of the people. He's taking care of the journey. He's determined the outcome. All of that is good. But God, I've got one personal request. Show me your glory. Now think about Moses. He's the guy who saw the burning bush. He saw God do wonders as he stretched out his rod in Egypt. He saw God part the Red Sea. He saw the glory cloud. He saw the pillar of fire. He saw God do amazing things. Bring water out of a rock and provide manna and quail and all kinds of things. He's the one who spent 40 days in the glory cloud of uh, a glory presence of God. All of this experience, and yet he's making this request, show me your glory. God, there is more of you that I want to see, that I want to experience. Show me your glory. I want to see more of you. I mean, if you and I had seen water come out of a rock, man, we would have retired for our life. Written a book, you know, how to bring water to rock. May have become a bestseller. Now we'd be giving all interviews. Yeah, and uh, we're retired. But not with Moses. He's ex- already experienced so much of God. More than any other man. And yet he's saying, show me your glory. God, there's so much more of you. I want it. I notice God doesn't get angry with Moses saying, Moses, what do you think? I mean... I've done all this for you and you're still asking me for more? He doesn't do that. He actually accommodates Moses' request. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do for you in response to your request. Here's what God says. This is how I'm going to show you my glory. Verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
But he said, you cannot see my face for no man has seen me and live. No man can see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hands while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We want to elicit some some understanding here, some truth here from this passage of what manifestation of the glory of God would look like. Because God is answering Moses' request to see the glory of God. And God said, this is how I'm going to reveal that to you. Three things he tells Moses. First he says, Moses, I will make my goodness pass before you. So, as we are crying out for revival and saying, God, we want more of your glory amongst us. We want you to show more of your glory. What can we expect? I will demonstrate my goodness. Demonstrations of the goodness of God reveal or manifest the glory of God to us. Because this, these are ways that you and I can understand. That you and I can relate to. That this is who God is. And these are the things He does. Demonstrations of the goodness of God. So you see, our cry for revival directly impacts what you and I receive from God. And that is not our motivation. Our motivation is for more of the glory of God. But in the process of God revealing His glory, what's happening? He's saying, I'm going to manifest my goodness. My goodness is going to touch the lives of people. Things that you and I are longing for, our needs, um, things that that only God can meet in His goodness, all those things will will be addressed as the glory of God is released amongst us. Are you with me? Now many of us, you know, when we say, okay, let's pray for revival, let's pray, pray for the glory of God, immediately we think, but what about my, you know, my career? What about my job? You know, tomorrow I've got to go to work. Uh, uh, what about my future? I mean, what about all those immediate needs in my life? Listen, if you focus, just pray and say, God, I'm asking you for more of your glory. I want your glory because that's your heart's desire, God. I'm asking you for it. In the process, what happens? God causes His goodness to be demonstrated. Those needs in your life are going to be taken care of. Amen? So it's not like we are praying something abstract and unrelated to our everyday life. The fact that God's glory, when it's revealed to us, how will, how will He cause it to be known, made known to us? He says, I will make my goodness pass before you. That's an expression of my glory. The, and remember, it, the Bible tells us in Romans 2, I think it's Romans 11, uh, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. When we become recipients of the goodness of God upon our lives, what does it do? It doesn't drive us away from God. It draws us towards Him. And it leads us to repentance. It leads us to turning away from our own ways and pursue God's ways. It brings us to that place. That's why in in a season of visitation, a season of revival, and God's goodness is being released upon His people, people want to repent. They want to turn away from their ways. Why? Goodness of God leads us to repentance. It draws us towards Him. The second thing God said is this. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Proclaiming the name of the Lord. The names of the Lord simply mean a revelation of who God is. His nature. 
the character of a God. The second thing that happens in a, in a season when God's glory is being released among His people is that they begin to understand who God is. There is an increased revelation of the character and the nature of God. So some are overwhelmed by a revelation of the holiness of God. It immediately causes us to turn away from our sin and bow before God and say, God, we are unclean. We need your forgiveness. There's an increased revelation of the, of the power of God. It lifts people up to believe in the miracles of God and the workings of God. There's a revelation of the goodness of God and, and, and the Father's love and people respond to it. You know, in the Toronto revival, uh, it took place, I think, I think it was 95. One of the big things that happened in the, in, in, in the Toronto revival, or it's also known as the Toronto blessing or the Father's blessing, is there was an unusual revelation of the Father's love. And so people would come there and, and, and just being in that move of God and that presence of God, they received a revelation of the Father's love and people who had long time hurts, abuse in their childhood and all the wrong things done for them in their childhood in, in an instant were healed because of, of just that revelation of the Father's love. What a psychologist may take many months to do. Nothing wrong with psychologists and all that. What counselors may take many months to do. In an instant of a revelation of the Father's love. All this was undone and they were made whole. Why? There was a revelation of, of the Father's love. And God was saying, I will proclaim my name. I will reveal attributes, character, nature, who I am. There's a revelation of God and who he is. And that changes us. Brings healing, brings deliverance, makes us whole. Amen. I will proclaim my name before you. And thirdly, he says, as I'm revealing my glory, here's what I'll do. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God says, as I'm revealing my glory, here's what I will do. I will sovereignly demonstrate my grace and compassion. Just sovereignly. I will do it the way I want to do it. I will do it to whomever I want to. I will have compassion. I will, have, I will be gracious to whomever I want to be gracious. I'll have compassion on whomever I want to have compassion. So what happens in a season of God's glory and a visitation of the glory of God? God moves amongst us so sovereignly and he begins to demonstrate, reveal, manifest his compassion and grace on different people. So in a season of revival, a season of visitation, you know, a, a person can come in, he can, he can smell full of smoke and be drunk uh, or whatever. And you're thinking, man, this is the worst guy I've sat next to. And God just moves upon him and he receives a wonderful healing. Maybe he starts seeing visions and dreams. You're saying like, I've been a Christian for 20 years, I haven't seen one vision. And this guy next to me, he's having this wonderful experience. God is doing all this. Why? Because God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have. And that time all our theology is torn to shreds. Because God moves sovereignly. Displaying his mercy and grace. And and, and doing things that we can never explain. That we can never imagine. Maybe an atheist comes and he doesn't even believe in God. And God touches him powerfully. And it's like I've been a Christian all these years. I went to Sunday school. Never had this experience with God. But yet... 
God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He will show his mercy on whom he will want to. That God begins to move sovereignly among this community that's experiencing the glory of God. Unusual things begin to happen. Things that we can't explain. God is moving sovereignly. Amen. And that's the time you feel like saying, hey, I'll invite anybody to church because you don't know what God's going to do. They say, just come, just be there. God will move sovereignly, demonstrating his mercy and compassion. But we also see two other things that take place here when, when, God is, uh, when God's revealing his glory. He, he says these two things. He says, while my glory passes by, Number one, we, are find, we have realized this, that God exposes us only to the level of glory we can handle. And he protects us from being completely destroyed. So he says, Moses, listen, you asked to see my glory, but no man can see me and live. I mean, God dwells in unapproachable lights. And it's not possible for mortal man to step in there and still survive. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, cover you, but my glory passes by. I'm going to only expose you to what you can handle. I'm also going to protect you. Otherwise, you'll be ashes. And that's what happens. As the glory of God is being move, uh, moves amongst us, God exposes us to things we can handle, and he protects us from what we cannot. He gives us what we can handle. The level of glory that we are able to. And as a people, I think our responsibility would be to, to just present ourselves the best we can. Cleanse ourselves from sin. Humble ourselves before God. Walk in holiness and purity. And, and prepare ourselves to handle and honor God's glory amongst us. We do not want to disrespect the glory of God and the move of God amongst us. We don't want to do that. We want to handle it carefully. Because God will expose us to only what we are ready and able to handle the second thing we see here is this, that there are some things he reveals and something he conceals. Moses asked to see the glory of God. God said, I will pass before you, but you can't see my face. You're going to only see the trail of my glory. You only get a glimpse of the trail, like the end part of my glory passing by. Because you can't see, you just can't handle the rest. So God reveals some, he conceals the others. So in the move of God, in the revelation of God, it's not like we're going to get to know everything about God. But he's going to reveal some things that we can understand and comprehend about God. But there'll be so much that he doesn't reveal, that he, doesn't, that he keeps concealed. Even things that he does amongst us, he doesn't have to provide an explanation of why he does what he does. He just does it. And the whys and the hows and all remains concealed. But that's part of what happens in a visitation, of part of what happens when God's glory is revealed to us as people. And we should be willing to live with the things that God conceals. He chooses to conceal that. And he gives us a revelation of things that he wants us to understand. So this is, in a nutshell, from one of these scripture passages, of what a manifestation of the glory of God among us people would look like. So this is what we're asking. When you're saying, God... I'm crying for, your, uh, for more of you. I'm crying for the glory of God. I'm crying for revival. What we're saying is, God, we want demonstrations of your goodness. We want to 
greater revelation of who you are, proclaiming the name of the Lord. We want you to move sovereignly, releasing your mercies and your compassion amongst us and doing things that, that God, it's okay if we don't understand. It's okay if it's concealed from us, but we want uh, to see you work and move uh, amongst our midst. I want to close this morning by just pointing us to passages that we can use to pray for revival. Historically, when you look back in church history, uh, people have used several passages in their prayer and their pursuit of God or their crying out for revival. I just want to point us to several passages that you and I could use. In Psalm 132, and, 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 and you can use any of these as you pray, whatever you feel close to your heart. I really like Psalm 132 verses 13 through 18 because it describes to us what happens when God makes uh, his habitation among a people. Like we said last Sunday, every visitation of God should become a habitation of God. That we want God to dwell amongst us. We want to consolidate. We want to hold on to that. And this is what happens when God dwells among His people. It says here in Psalm 132 verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. That is provision. I will satisfy her bread with poor. Needs are met. I will clothe her priests with salvation. There is the working of God and saving, healing, delivering. Her saints will shout for joy. There is an abundance of joy among his people. I will make the horn of David grow. There is the increase of authority and dominion that people have in their spheres of influence. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. There is a revelation of God. His enemies have a clothed with shame. There is triumph and victory over the enemies of God. He says, upon his, and upon himself his crown will flourish. There's increase in strength for the people of God. This is what happens when God dwells among his people. Are you guys awake? Excited? Are you like very quiet this morning? <laughs> and so this is what we're saying. God, you come. You flood us. You, you saturate us with your glory. And then when God inhabits, he's saying, this is what I will do. He always says, I will. God sovereignly works these things among his people. Isaiah 60, 1, 2, and 3 is a passage that you and I are very familiar. We've been using it. But God says, you know, when my glory is seen among my people, Gentiles, the unsaved will come, rulers will come to the brightness of their, of their rising. Isaiah 62, 1 through 7, again, is a passage we saw last Sunday where how, how Isaiah is crying out. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And we drew the parallel between Zion and the church. And therefore we said, look, if Isaiah could do that for Zion and for Jerusalem, you and I could cry out like that for the church. Until God establishes his people the way he wanted them to be. He wants us to be like the early church. That was the, the church he birthed. That was what he released among them. The impact, the influence they had in their region. We should be that way. Grow up into it and, and, and go beyond that. So we, until God does that, we will not hold our peace. We cry out for that. Isaiah 64 verses 1 through 4 has been a passage that has been used very often in pr- revival prayers. Isaiah 64, uh, uh, the, the prayer simply is, Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. And that's how people pray. Say, God, we want you to rend the heavens and come down. Let the mountains melt at the presence of the Lord. And God do wonders amongst us which we never even thought of or asked for. Do those kinds of things. And God promises in verse 4, things which eyes haven't seen, which ears haven't heard, which no one has even thought of. Those are the things I will do for those who wait for me. That's the promise. And this passage has been used in many, many revival prayers of people crying out for revival. Hosea 6 one, two, three, 
uh, the, uh, the prophet Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us pursue the knowledge of God. And he will heal us. He will revive us. And he will, if we press in to know the Lord, he will come to us like the rain. So there's a wonderful promise there. If we press in to know the Lord, he will come to us like the rain. He'll come bringing, refreshing, reviving upon our lives. Hosea 10, 12 again tells us, you know, it says, sort yourselves in righteousness, break up your fallow ground, because he will, get, he will rain righteousness on the earth. So we do have a part of, of breaking things in our lives and preparing our hearts in prayer and seeking God. God will come and rain upon our lives. And in Zechariah 10, verse 1, Zechariah promises, he says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain, and God will give rain to every grass in the fields. So as you ask for rain, God will give rain. So these are promises you, can, you and I can pray, use when we pray, when we cry out for revival, cry out for the glory of God. And that is God's desire. So this morning, I just want you to take this thought back with you. That every genuine cry for revival is really a cry for God's glory to be revealed. That's what we're crying for. It's a desperation for the glory of God to be seen on His people. So question to you and me is this. Will we be a people who will raise up a fervent cry for more of Him? More of His presence and power. For more of His glory amongst us. I know people can use different languages. We can talk about awakenings and movements and visitations. So it doesn't matter what language we use. Ultimately we are saying we want more of the Lord amongst us. Amen. I want to invite us as a church. Let's press into that and say, God, we want more of your glory revealed in us, amongst us. The next two Sundays, we will talk a little bit about what happens when, when the glory of God is upon us, when God begins to stir us up. You know, really, it's not for us to keep within ourselves, but it's for us to take to the nations. Take it to our city, take it to our nation. And the nations. And I want to just bring to us for the next two Sundays some practical ways on how living in a modern time, in a modern age, uh, how can we actually penetrate society? How can we take this out? The book of Acts that we've been reading, we see how in Acts 8, when there was a persecution, uh, the, 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 the Jewish believers were scattered. They went from Jerusalem, they went out. And uh, historically, and we don't have necessarily a biblical record of this, but historically, uh, overnight, 200 villages all around uh, that region of Jerusalem, the entire uh, uh, district of Judea, was saturated. Judea, Judea Samaria, uh, was just saturated overnight. These disciples were all scattered, but they took the gospel. We have an account, one account of what happened when, when Philip goes to Samaria. He reproduces what was in Jerusalem. He reproduces it there. We have another account in Acts 11 of what happened when some unnamed believers landed up in Antioch in Syria, which is about 300 kilometers north of Jerusalem. They landed up there, and they reproduced exactly what was happening in Jerusalem. They carried this DNA. Remember, they had been there only for eight years. But they were so equipped, so filled with this fire, that when these unnamed believers landed up in Antioch in Syria, they reproduced what was happening in Jerusalem. And I believe that if we, are so, we catch this fire, this, this fire and this glory and this understanding of what God is doing and, and are, are equipped, when God disperses us, 
And it doesn't have to be a persecution. It could be a job transfer. It could be whatever. Maybe you choose to go somewhere. But when you go, you'll be able to be a carrier of the revival of the presence of the glory of God. Wherever you go. Amen? Do you want to do that? Or you just want normal church? I'll come, I'll say my amens and go. (laughs) Or do you want to be a carrier of the glory of God? God desires that. He says, my glory will be seen through my people. And the world is waiting. True, the situations have changed. Today, you know, um, science and technology and all these industries have advanced so much far, far, so, you know, way ahead from what we see in the New Testament. Things are different, but God wants His glory to be taken into every sphere of society. Everywhere. And you and I are to be carriers of that glory. Amen? He wants His glory to get into all our cities. Cities in India are so big and they're growing. We need more of these, uh, of these churches that are on fire. Are, that, are, that have the revival fire of God in them. That have the glory of God there. And they're beginning to impact society. We need more of those churches. We need more of that across our nation. But who's going to do it? It's going to be people. You and I, being carriers of revival. We'll talk more about that in the coming Sundays. Let's stand to our feet, please. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.